All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So they were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with the swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to, to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, I, st I still, excuse me, and still hold them. Behold, the, la the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But none of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kill, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kill and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beasts. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boys, boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. 
For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast in every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your father and your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? 
Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord. For that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may become upon the land of Egypt, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did, they, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses says, said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. May God give us understanding in the reading of his holy word. Let us remain standing, pray, bow our heads in a time of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your word. We give attention to your word. We want to learn of you, see your mighty works, and have that impact our hearts as we reflect on who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Move in our hearts today as we receive your word to, to move, to act, to live in accordance with what we see you to be from your word. A God of grace, Mercy, a God of judgment, a God who has a heart to save his people and will stop at nothing. God who has declared his truth and called his people to himself and called judgment to all who won't believe. A God who empowers his people to live in accordance to his word. Bless us this day. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated as our choir comes to minister to us in song and then 
the preaching of God's word from Exodus 8, 9, and 10. Realize we read a lot in our reading today, but it is good to read through God's word and see what he has done. Last week, we talked a little bit about the purpose of the 10 plagues, and we, we mentioned that it was to display God's power and his wrath in judgment against Israel. Um, it was to make God known to the Egyptians. It was to show Pharaoh, both Pharaoh, Israel, and all of Egypt, that the Lord God was speaking through his prophet Moses. And it was to show the Lord's supremacy over all other gods and over all of his creation. I want to look at a few things that point these things out. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. We're looking at the purpose that, that God had in doing these miracles and performing these plagues, these ten plagues against Egypt. In verse 5, it says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. In verse 12 of that same chapter, we see another purpose statement. Why God did what he did. What did he want to come out of this? Verse 12 says this, That's not the right one. Look, look at verse 17. Where am I? Verse 17, thus saith the Lord, I'm in Exodus 7, verse 17, thus saith the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile. It should turn into blood. So he says, by this you'll know that I am the Lord. In chapter 8, verse 9, see another purpose statement. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for, for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. In other words, Moses said, I want you to ask me for a specific time to pray to God to remove this plague from you. And you set the time, and I want you to see by setting that time, it's precisely at that time that God removed that so you'll know who God is. You'll know that he's the one that's doing of that work. In uh, chapter 8, verse 22, we see another purpose statement. <clears throat> On that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that the swarms of flies shall be, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. He says, I'm going to make this plague affect Egypt and Egypt only and the place, the spot in Egypt where my people live <laughs> won't be a single fly there. Isn't that amazing? Won't be a single fly there so that you know it's me who's doing uh, this work. And then in chapter 9, uh, verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. He wanted them to know that God is God alone. There's none like him, none to be compared to him. But let me keep going there. Um, for by now, verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. You know what he's saying there? He said, I could have brought a plague that totally wiped you out. The first time, the very first time. 
It's not this idea. Some people have this idea that God is working and then he works a little harder and then he works a little harder, like he's a little more successful each time. No. He says the only reason why you didn't die, I didn't want you to die. I want you to see what I'm doing. And when I'm done doing that, I'll do as I please. So he says, I could have wiped you totally out, but I didn't for this reason. I want you to know who I am. Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. I'm going to come back to that verse because it makes another important point for for us to to realize. All right. So in in chapter nine, verse twenty nine, again, we see another purpose statement why God did things the way that he did. Verse 29 of chapter 9, Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. In other words, I'm going to do it a specific way at a specific time so you realize what I am doing, that it's me. I'm in control. It's my sovereignty Um, that rules. And then the last statement we want to look at is in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Several purposes God brings out there. And one I want to focus on now is this. He says, I am doing this so that you might know, the people of Israel, he's saying, and that they might tell their children and grandchildren. In other words, God said, I'm working so that you will, you will be sure of who I am and you will be sure then to speak that to your family. Speak that truth to them so that they can know as well. In response to, you know, some of us ask, well, does God still do miracles today and why is he not performing these types of things today? The answer is he's done enough. And he tells you now to tell of his work to others. He, he has chosen to call people. He has done his work. There's enough evidence for us to see of what God has done. And he calls us to faith based on what he's already done. Is he doing works now? Yes, he still does it. But it's not, um, he has already done enough for you to see and for you to believe. It's up for us to, to go and to share that truth with others. Let's look briefly at um, the plagues. We, we have 10 of them, and I, I want to... Um, I want to actually start in chapter 8 and look through uh, plague number 2 all the way through 10. Just pull out just a few things, brief statements from each one. In plague number 2, God brought frogs on all the land of Egypt. And in in chapter 8, verse 7, it says this. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. We mentioned a lot last week about how they duplicated um, this work, this this act that God had done. Um, And so uh, I I think we, we, we spent enough time last week talking about how they had some power, but it was limited. They could duplicate, but they couldn't uh, uh, erase or reverse the plague that God had brought on. Also, we see another thing of interest about this second plague of, uh, of, of, of frogs is that, um, as I mentioned before, Moses asked Pharaoh to agree on a time to end it so that he would know it was God's hand who had started it and it was God's hand who had stopped it. It wasn't just uh, a coincidence, so to speak. In the third plague, the plague of the gnats. It says in verse 17 of chapter 8 that this plague came upon man and beast. And we see the impact of what what God is doing affecting every being there. Also, what's interesting is about this third plague is that it tells us in verse 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. 
Exodus 8, verse 18, it says, The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. They could not. So I, I don't know what, what it is with the gnats they couldn't pull off if they could do the frogs. But it, it tells us they got to a point where their magic stuff wasn't working. It doesn't equal the power of God, never could and never will. And so God was showing them their limits. They couldn't do it. And notice their response. Verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. (laughs) See, God brought something that they couldn't duplicate. And now they start to see, hey, this is real. We were doing tricks and magic, but this is real. It seemed like such a small thing comparative to all the other things that God did. But here's the thing that, that got their attention. This is the hand. This is the finger of God. Notice that it's kind of comical to me. This is the finger of God. They got it right. In other words, this is just a small work. (laughs) He just does this with his finger. Watch. You don't want to see when he uses the strength of his arm to do something. The next plague is the plague of flies. In chapter 8, verse 22, we see that God made a distinction between Goshen and Egypt. Goshen is a land that Israel has settled in. You can go back to the story in Genesis and see that when Joseph came down, uh, 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 when Joseph brought his people down to, to Egypt because of the uh, uh, famine in Israel, he asked permission for his people to stay in the land of Goshen, and they settled there and were there. 400 years later, we see them still in that land. And God says, the land of Goshen, I've set apart. They won't see these plagues. It will affect Egypt, but not Goshen. It's amazing. God, he brings these, these plagues, but he has the power to separate and make distinction. That is so that they would see that it is God doing this. This is not random. Also, we see in this plague with the flies that Pharaoh thinks that he can negotiate and restrict or make place restrictions on God's people. In verse 25, chapter 8, verse 25, it says, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. In other words, y'all can go, but don't only go so far. And so in his arrogance. Um, he thinks he can partially obey and thinks, in other words, he, he thinks he has the power to, to uh, uh, um, give restrictions upon God's command. In verse 8, excuse me, in chapter 8, verse 31, the end of the chapter there, it tells us that um, God removed uh, the flies but what happens to Pharaoh? Verse, verse 31, the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also did not let the people go. So Pharaoh is still in his arrogance. Um, one, one thing I want to point out here. Do, do you notice how God acts and who he responds to. It is, it is Moses and Aaron who God says, Moses, I want you to lift up your rod. Or he tells Aaron, I want you to lift up the rod. I want you to bring out this plague. And Moses does it and God acts. Pharaoh pleads for that plague to go away. Moses prays and God acts. He's acting in response to God is acting in response to Moses and not Pharaoh. There's a powerful lesson there. If you don't have a relationship with God, you have no means of speaking to God and seeing him act. You have no direct contact. The contrast there is those who are walking with God, who are believers, have the benefit of prayer. We can actually talk to God, and God responds to his people according to his purpose, and he acts. 
He's not listening to Pharaoh. He's not doing a response to Pharaoh. Each time this plague comes, Pharaoh has to plead to Moses to plead to God to take it away. Pharaoh has no way to go to God himself and communicate because he has no relationship with him. What a powerful statement. Believers, do you recognize how much a privilege we have to pray to God. One of the practical applications is, are you using that privilege? Are you praying for your loved ones who don't know Christ, who have no way? You know, people, people tell me this all the time. I pray to God every day. I'm like, that's a waste of time. Because you don't know him. And he's not listening to you. In reality, I don't say this to him, but in reality, I'll be begging us to pray for them. But we do. We do pray, God, we pray you will open their eyes and bring them to repentance and save them. So Pharaoh has no, he has no influence on God and his prayers mean absolutely nothing. But Moses acts on his behalf because he does have relationship with God. Let's go to the fifth plague, the plague where... In chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, the livestock dies. Again, God makes a distinction between the people, the land where the people of Israel live, Goshen and Egypt. What's interesting about this plague He does this in other plagues as well, but it's interesting is that in verse in chapter 9. Verse 1, he says, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a severe, very severe plague on your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. In other words, he's giving them a warning that if you listen, if you don't listen to this, there's going to be severe plague and your livestock will die. Well, Pharaoh doesn't listen. And his livestock dies. But look what he does. Look what Pharaoh does. In verse 7. Pharaoh sent and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. In other words, he sent somebody to check. <laughs> Let me see if what God says is really true. Can you imagine his thoughts and his face when that servant came back to say, hey, <laughs> when I got close to Goshen, I didn't smell nothing. And I got there and I heard a lot. In other words, I didn't smell the stink of decaying carcasses of livestock who had died. And when I got there, I could hear all the sounds of animals that were perfectly healthy and living. But as I got closer to Egypt, <laughs> I could smell a stench. And I could hear a silence. <laughs> He's reporting back to Pharaoh, so to speak, and... Pharaoh wanted to check to see if it was just like God had said, and sure enough, it was just like God had said. In the sixth plague, the plague of the boils, we notice that the, the dust is thrown in the air and it brings out boils or sores on man and beast. Now, we might ask, what do the poor animals have to do <laughs> with this. Well, we would know that they're part of creation. Sin impacts all of creation, and so does judgment. It impacts all of creation. But I got news for you. So does grace. Look in the book of Revelation, you'll see that all of creation is restored by God's grace. But it's impacted all by man's living either in obedience to God or in disobedience. It's interesting. You can tell 
sometimes the wickedness of people by just the land and the circumstances around them. It's amazing as you walk in different parts of the city and I walk in around my neighborhood and I said, look at this mess. The result of just wickedness and sin. It's almost not a day that goes by that I don't ride down the street and see the carnage of a car wreck littered across the street, swept into one spot because the police have come and kind of cleaned up the area and pushed it over to the side. Where I don't see garbage strewn all over everywhere. The effects, the impact that sin has on all of us, sometimes the so-called innocent. In the seventh plague, bring your attention. Again, a warning was given before this plague. This is the plague of hail, hailstorms. For our children are listening, you understand what hail is. It, it is. It is like rain that freezes and, 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 and changes the chunks of ice that come down. But in this case, it says it was hailstorms that were burning with fire. It's amazing uh, judgment of God. Because of this storm, um, in chapter 9, verse 27... We see something that just seems amazing. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. He confesses. He tells the truth. What's wrong with that statement? Nothing wrong with a statement. The problem is it doesn't match his heart. When facing God's judgment, there's a tendency to say, stop, Lord, I get it. But the question is, do you really get it? We say the proof is in the pudding. Let's see how you act after God, gives, God relents and, and, and takes a little pressure off. It's an amazing statement that Pharaoh says. It seems like a very humble statement. I and my people are in the wrong. And he, he, he pleads with Moses. Again, I mentioned how that goes before. He, he didn't have the right to plead with God, so he pleads with Moses to plead with God. Verse 28, plead with the Lord. For there's been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. I like Moses' response because it just reflects the response of God. He says, as soon as I leave out of, your, out of your sight, I'm going to pray to God, and he's going to cause this plague as well to cease. But, verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I know. God knows. God knows the insincerity of a false confession. It sounds good to me. It's even impressive sometimes to me. But it doesn't fool God. It doesn't fool God. God knows our hearts. The same is true of Jesus. In, in John chapter 2, people were coming, uh, coming out the woodwork. Believing in Jesus, but it said Jesus didn't believe in them because they weren't real. Their hearts weren't right, even though they made a confession. I was on, out on the street yesterday. We were talking to different people and met a man who, who just wanted to talk and talk and talk to me. He wanted to talk about some of the things of God, but as I talked more, I just felt what a waste of time. He just wanted to talk. After it ended all, we could see the foolishness that came out of his mouth and, and the profanity and the, the nonsense even after we had talked. And as we left that place, I could hear him from across the street hollering foolishness. I'm thinking, 
What a waste of time just to talk. Now, it's true that as we share God's word, we share in faith that God has, has an impact through his word and he can do as he pleases. But it's amazing the foolishness of men to want to talk and convince me or convince you or convince others that their heart is right when their heart ain't right. And it shows as soon as you let them talk enough. So Pharaoh talks a good talk, but Moses and God are not convinced. He says, I know, verse 30, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Now, why did he not yet fear the Lord? Next verse is, is very instructive, and, and I want us to see this. So it's, it's in parentheses in the ESV, and it really gives a flavor of what's being said. It's like the writer is telling us the circumstances of what's going on so we'll understand the context. He says in verse 31, the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. What is he saying? When the hail came down, it it destroyed all the stuff that was active then, but there was some stuff that was blooming late that the hell did not affect. And so this late blooming stuff would eventually grow and provide food and relief for them. Now, don't be mistaken. God knew what he was doing. He knew this. He is simply giving opportunity and granting grace even in the midst of his judgment. I've said this many times in the message. Judgment on this earth is like a building on fire. My job is not to put the fire out. <laughs> the fire is sent by God. My job, your job, is to offer rescue to those who want to come out of the building to the place that God has for them of safety. The building is done. It's done. It's not going to be saved. But perhaps someone in that building recognizes that and accepts God's offer of rescue. This world and all of its system is condemned and judged. It's not going to be saved. But God has a people he's calling to join me. Come out of this sin-cursed world into the kingdom that God is building for him and his people. Receive God's salvation. Don't try to hold on to what the world has. It's going to be destroyed. The point here is that when people, oftentimes people take for granted God's grace. And when God's judgment isn't complete, They take it as leaving room for their own self-reliance, their independence, and their ability to remain in wickedness. It's like when I was a kid, people would use a statement, I swear to God, and if I ain't right, God will strike me down. And they do that once or twice, and God doesn't strike them down. And they know they're wrong. But God didn't strike them down, so that gives them more arrogance, more pride, uh, more stubbornness to resist and to keep on doing that. They, in essence, say, well, see, God didn't strike me down. I can keep doing what I want to do. Pharaoh, in essence, and the people of Egypt are saying, well, yeah, the hell was bad, but hey, we still got some plants. We still got wheat. We, still, we, we can still survive. It was bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't all consuming, and we can still get along. 
It's just like the first plague when the water was turned to blood. Instead of turning to God, what they did, they start digging around the Nile and digging up, trying to find fresh water. In God's grace, he allowed them to have that. But they would not listen. As long as they think they can remedy God's judgment or escape it, they continue in their own wickedness and sin. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. How stubborn Pharaoh and his people. Notice what it says. Verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. In other words, God knew this would happen and he told Moses ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. You can also see in here this hardening, this refusing, this rejecting of what God has to say, how it begins to harden. The Bible uses that term, harden Pharaoh's heart. It gets to a point where it says the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people of Israel go. The more he resists, the harder he becomes to obeying God's will. We often think, well, you know, I'm going to wait a little longer and then I'm going to trust God. I'm going to enjoy life a little more and then I'm going to trust God. You're not promised that you will enjoy the rest of the life that God gives you. And secondly, you're not in control of that. Because as your heart, as you reject God, that you say, every day that you say no to God, your heart is getting harder and harder. In other words, we use the term heart, but um, I guess my parents, my, my mom would say knucklehead. You're a hardhead. In other words, it's, it's, it's here. It's, it's, it's a conscious decision that you're making to turn away from God. And when you turn away from God, where are you turning to? What we see here, there's a point when God says, that's it. And the hardness of your heart, I'm going to add. I'm going to harden it. And in other words, it's like I'm going to submit your condition right where it is. And you won't have another opportunity to change. You will be unable to change. Respond to God now while you or God is pleading with you. Because you don't know how much opportunity you're going to have. It's part of human nature. When whatever is challenging us, in this, in this case the plagues, when that, when that decreases in its intensity, it's part of a human nature to say, okay, well, we're free now. We, we cool. There's no more God's judgment. And we're good to continue doing what we've been doing. When will you stop that? At what point? I always ask, what, what, what is it going to take for you to say, God, that's enough. That's it. And my heart is now yielded to you. I surrender to you. I submit to you. At what point? Is it plague number one? Is it number two? Is it number three? Is it number four? Are you even counting? Do you think you have a definite number to count? Do you think he's going to get to 10? Because when it gets to 10, it's, it, it, it's, you, 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 you no longer can even impact and make that change. How long are you going to wait? The eighth plague comes, and it's the plague of locusts. Again, a warning is given. And I want you to see how 
stubborn Pharaoh is by this time. In verse 3, it says, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. I'm in chapter 10 now. Exodus 10, verse 3. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. They shall, they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. Can I pause right there? God in his grace, in his mercy, allowed the hail to leave a little bit. But he says, I'm sending another judgment that's going to erase whatever was left from that. Like he said, he could have done it all at once and not even given them a chance to repent. And so... Look at verse 7. And the Pharaoh's servant says, now this, this is the assess, assessment of Pharaoh's servants. This is what they had to say about the condition of the land of Egypt. We, are, we have gone through seven plagues, excuse me, through, uh, yeah, seven plagues, and the eighth one is about to come. And this is what they say in verse 7. Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? That's their statement. That's their statement to Pharaoh. Like, man, open your eyes. Our country is ruined. I think it got Pharaoh's attention, but not even that changed his heart. It says in the very next verse, verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Now, you got to think, how did that happen? Somebody was sent to go run Moses and Aaron down and bring them back. So Pharaoh must have given that direction and brought them back. But his heart still isn't changed. He said to them, go serve the Lord, your God. But which ones are to go? Now, that's Pharaoh's question. I like Moses' answer. It's no compromise. I'm not going to compromise with what God has told us to do. You're not in control, Pharaoh. You can't negotiate release as if you have the power. You don't. God is in power here. You need to recognize that. Oh, spiritually, won't we do that? What do you have to negotiate with God? Really? God, I'm going to serve you if. If what? And if not what? You can't threaten God. You can't negotiate God. You need to recognize that you have no Power. So let me, let me just step down to our, our, our last point. There's several points that I wanted to make, and I know my time is, is running out. There are several things that stand out to me amongst these ten plagues, and we've covered some of them. First of all, God's power is unmatched. He has complete power. That, that stands out. The magicians can, can duplicate. They have some power, but they cannot. They, are, they, they, they can duplicate some signs, but it's God who dominates. We saw that in, in the rod change to the serpent. The magicians can duplicate, but they can't reverse God's curse, any of them. So God is the one in power. The second thing we should notice is God's sovereignty. He is in complete control. Sovereignty means that, that God is, is Lord of all and he answers to nobody. He is in control. He is in charge. He himself. He is completely God. No one can thwart his plan or his design. Pharaoh's power can't thwart what God is doing. Uh, Pharaoh's control, Pharaoh's persistence, his arrogance, none of that can change or impact God's plan that he's enacting. Not even Moses' weakness or inability or lack of charisma. We saw that all the way through this passage. When we first start off uh, in chapter 6, Moses is saying, God, you know, I've, I've got... 
I, I'm not a good speaker and I can't lead these people. I don't have the charisma is what he's saying. God says, it's not dependent on your charisma. I'm going to bring about, I am in control. I am sovereign over all things and I will bring about what I promise to deliver my people. Not even Israel's weakness. They're just slaves in this land. They have no political power. They have no army, no physical power. They have nothing. But God says, I'm going to bring you out. God is in complete control. God works Pharaoh's arrogance for his own purpose. We saw that. I was going to get back to that in a couple of the, 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 the sections there. It says God used Pharaoh's arrogance so that he would prove himself to be who he is, that people would see. He, he let Pharaoh's heart, in fact, he himself hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could display his power and bring about his purpose. God is in complete control. What's our response to that is to be in awe of God, to, 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 to reflect on who God is and to worship. But, you know, one of the things that we often, we, we misname what this service is. We call it a worship service. And we sometimes think we sing songs that we're worshiping as, as we sing. I like to say it this way. We're reflecting as we sing. We reflect on truth. The real worship comes when we leave this place. You know, you can act like you're so solemn and you're so obedient and you're so humble before God, but the real worship comes with how you live. Today, what we do is simply reflect. We take God's truth and we assent that, yes, it is true, it is right, and, and we, do, we do need that solemn time to recognize and reflect on who God is. But the real worship comes in our everyday lives. What does this mean to you and how does it impact who you are? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday. That's when the real life comes out, real worship comes out. So that do we understand God in his power, God in his sovereignty, and then do I submit my life, every part of it, to him? The other thing that we note and we see throughout these plagues is, here's a beautiful picture, God's determination to rescue his people. He will stop at nothing to bring his people out of judgment, to bring his people out of slavery, to bring his people out of, out of the turmoil that they suffer from. He is determined to move and to rescue his people. He is the one that you want to have for you. The second part of that is we see God's determination to punish his adversaries. He will inflict his judgment on his adversaries. Egypt is seen in that light. Pharaoh is seen in that light. He will destroy and completely destroy his adversaries. Now, that's a part that we don't often want to look and see with God, but God is determined to punish. He has perfect wrath and perfect grace. His wrath is poured out of those who do not trust in him. His grace is poured out on those who he has brought into relationship with him. And we see both of those in this beautiful picture that God has for us. God told them, I'm doing this. He told Moses, I'm doing this so that your children, you would teach your children and your grandchildren who I am and that they will live their lives in accord with that. I challenge you today as you reflect on this, don't just have a solemn moment here and say yes, but go away and let that solemn moment live in your life to live as if God is who he says that he is. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's determined to bless and bring grace and pour out grace on his people. He's determined to bring judgment on those who stand against him. Let that be apparent in every breath that you take, every step, every decision that you make, every act that you do and every thought that you think should show forth that. And that is how you worship.
Father, we praise you and thank you for who you are. We pray, Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, not just with our voices and song, not just with our consent of saying amen, not just with our presence here today, but with how we live as we leave this place, that truly the world might know through your power and even your power in our lives that you are active, that you are powerful, that you're working, that your grace is evident in us and through us today. Your judgment is true and evident today. So we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.